Welcome to the AF Mentors podcast. This is for coaches who care about impact and are ready to be pushed outside their comfort zone and into growth. You can find out more about AF Mentors at afmentors.com. Hi, Dan. Hi, Emma. You're right. I'm all right. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited to have you. The reason, so we were in the middle of a conversation. And I was just like, I'm going to start recording because I thought this was quite interesting. And I wanted to ask you if you, so to let everyone in on our conversation, we were talking about, I guess, capitalism to an extent and focusing solely on money and how actually many large businesses are or seem to be focused that way. But did you see that, I think it was yesterday, or at least I saw it yesterday, the brand Patagonia. You know yeah, I mean? the billionaire that's handed up. Yeah, sorry, and I'm not going to give up your story on it, but you can figure. Well, it. I mean, I don't know very much about it. I did. I was going to bring it up because, like, as you said that, I was like, well, yeah, I agree, except for this one thing that I saw mm. yesterday, <laughs> which was that they he has sold, or I guess given away his yeah, business. Yeah, he's given it away. His business uh, worth billions, and all the I don't know the intricacies, but I gather the small print is everything that anyone could possibly make out of his company has to be donated towards working on global warming, which is hugely admirable, altruistic, and a massive outlier. I don't think, you know, I don't know of anyone else doing it. I'm not saying no one else has has done that, but I haven't heard of anything like that out there. Not all of the profits. And then I think your job kind of changes from, I mean, he obviously I don't know if he's retiring, but like there will be obviously be someone running this, the business. But then also there's a whole nother job of figuring out how to spend that money. Because it's not as simple as just being like, we're giving it to global warming. It's like, okay, who and why and where and where's the biggest impact happening? And who do we want to fund? And do we want to do like funding startups that are working in that area? Or do we want to do like funding research? Or is it going to be split? And then when you start to really think about that, that becomes like a whole job in itself, right? There's a huge ethical standpoint on it, isn't it? It's like who is the right people to have those powers? And I think even charities, they, they are their businesses to a certain extent that it's not all, you know, people need to be paid to do that job. I think there wasn't there something a little while ago, Elon Musk, and he said he would donate a certain number of billions, but he wanted a paper trail of absolutely everything, which would be understandable if you were just giving your money away, but... Who do you, you know, who who do you give that power to? I can't remember where I heard it. I was listening to something about essentially when we talk about power and governance and all different countries and how they operate is how would you, if you had to appoint, I don't know, 10 people, how would you pick those 10 people to make all of those important decisions? Because I guess the issue is when you have experts, they are experts in a certain field. And by definition, they don't have very much perspective because they're like, I know what this money could do here. But how can you compare that to what this money could do here and what's more important in the grand scheme of things? Like, I think it's a very, it's a very hard thing to do. And I think actually genuinely, that's why many people don't donate to charities because they get the money. Yeah. yeah, Which one? And you're always wrong. Like I've done many, we'll come, let's bring this back to coaching a little bit, but I've done, so for example, the, the values journal, all that money goes to Ukraine because when I first started doing the journal, yeah. So when I first started doing the journal, um, that was like big in the news at the time. And, and, and actually I I initially wanted to give it to people on commit to six, Mm. but because of the way I did it, I would then have to have like, the whole point was I don't actually touch the journal. It just gets Mm. sent straight to people. So I had to do it through Amazon and thus, and then I know that people don't like buying through Amazon or many people don't. So I was like, at least like if it's going to charity and like, I don't mind about the money. And actually if it's a nice thing and it makes people feel good and we get to help people whilst doubly helping people with journaling as well, then like that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, I think like even that, like some people were like, can you give half of it to this brain trust? Because my uncle had a brain tumor and I think that's really, and you just think, you can't you actually can't really win no it's so hard and I think that we, we had this with uh, the live that we arranged to remember and the only way we could do it to kind of take all the muckiness and the potential skepticism out of it was just to this is the donate page 
we're not going to handle the money. We're not going to handle the tickets at all. I think towards the end, it became so much admin. We were just letting people in the group without even checking. Whether they're yeah, I think our, our thing was, so we did, what was it called? Fitness Unfiltered Live in lockdown. And that was, I think that was actually incredible. But anyway, I let's forget about that sometimes. But we had and a half grand for UNICEF. How much was it in the end? 27 and a half grand in like incredible but we had it also the content was incredible so we had these incredible speakers and it was essentially an online conference but yeah by the end we were kind of like you know it's it's on your own conscience if you decide not to give to charity like but this is like this is how you get a ticket you need to give to charity and then you get sent the link but yeah I think by the end we were just accepting people Mm -hmm. having not checked if they'd done that but even that just giving page is we signed up to that with every faith that just giving and obviously they tax a certain amount and do you actually know you know it's, it's a really hard one even with charity work do you know what they do with that money you don't really I mean that one and I think years ago when I did uh, that charity event for Calm I don't know really what they did with that money because I didn't even get a confirmation <laughs> like as in it had been received so do you know what's surprisingly hard is finding out how to get the money from just giving to the charity like there's not an obvious button no I have a horrible feeling that the money that we raised for women's aid is still sitting in just giving so we raised ten thousand pounds for women's aid yeah for another online conference that we did and it's andrew tate's producer that's where the money's gone yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um but I guess that's what you're trusting in a charity is that they'll mm. put the money in the right places, right? Because that's their job. And and I think at some point you have to just be like, I can't be a control freak about everything. Yeah. I think <laughs> like, that's a happier existence. I mean, a healthy level of scepticism, I think everyone needs, but it's a very hard life if you don't trust anyone with anything. So if I'm a bit ignorant, if it sounds naive, I'm, I'm happy to live with that. I'll die on that, that sword. This brings me on to, not directly, but I think this might be quite a useful thing to talk about. And I was talking to Lucy about this in the lead up to Christmas, maybe doing something for charity. And I don't know what your experience of this is. And I'm going to bring it back to a question about whether you think you should do free services. And essentially what she was talking about was, should I do something free as like almost like a lead gen, sort of some free coaching, like maybe it's a free two-week coaching block or something before Christmas or over Christmas because like coaching will be quiet anyway and then maybe like people get to know me a little bit and I think the biggest I don't think I've ever had good results from someone who hasn't paid me like I think the biggest thing is that there isn't that investment in themselves and one way around that and it's a really nice way around it because there's like so many benefits to it is saying this is a you know it's free as in I don't get paid as the coach but I want you to donate 20 pounds to a certain charity or even I've done it before. You just screenshot, like you can choose the charity. You have to just show me that you've donated to a charity of your choice. And, and even that is kind of like some form of buy-in for them. Like they've invested something. So they're more likely to turn up. They're more likely to open the email. They're more likely because you just don't value free stuff. Even stuff that I want, like I'll sign up for something and it'll be like, give me your email address and I'll give you this five ways to build your business or whatever, like something I'm vaguely interested in. And then by the time the email comes literally half a second later, I'm like, nah. Yeah. I I, I think I would hundred percent agree with you. I think you do have to have some skin in the game. There has to be some sort of, unfortunately, financial invested in investment is a great incentive for people. Even I've thought at times, even if it was like a, a refundable thing, even which, which would be a whole lot of admin work no one would want, is that you got people to invest. And if they saw out the process and fully invested in engaging in everything necessary, they got some sort of partial refund or a full refund at, at the end of it. I don't know how practical that would be. I, but- I have like thought about that loads because there's some really cool research from, I think it's Angela Duckworth. She's a behavioral economic. Oh, econ- and she works in behavioral economics right <laughs> and uh I think the study was looking at essentially something like that they they did it in slightly different ways so you can for example I could be like Dan I'm going to give you a hundred pounds 
give me it back when I lose 10 pounds. So that like that could be or like 10 yeah. kilograms, whatever it is. Um, or they do like a negative reinforcement where I'd say, Dan, if I don't lose 10 pounds in the next year, give that money to like a charity that I hate or like, you know, to a yeah, like, I've, I have foundation heard. or something. Right. Yeah. And then there's like the negative reinforcement of it. But I also think that like the refund, like you can earn your money back kind of thing is quite cool but from like a whole like stripe funds and ta- like yeah it's a logistical actually, you'd be yeah, losing money if you refunded yeah. people yeah it is a bit logistical nightmare in theory in principle is different but yeah I, I get that but I, i've often thought about that and actually it makes me think about many years ago many many years ago i was doing some work with school sports partnerships and you would apply to local council for certain uh, pots of money which would be to getting people more engaged in physical activity. So this one was focused on school staff well-being, and I'd managed to secure a ten thousand pound pot of money, which would continually. Obviously, it wouldn't be me at the time when I was an active PT. It was getting someone else in to run like a boot camp type metabolic, whatever you want to call it, session after school for the teachers of that school. So school finished at twenty past or quarter past three, I think it was. And they had this £10,000 pot of money, which would pay for a PT to come in every single week on the same day, same time. And it was half past three. So like 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes after they finished their school day. I think the first week they had 10 in attendance. Then it was six. Then for a couple of weeks, it was three. And in the end, just whatever was left of that money, I think there was two, two, three, maybe four weeks of non-attendance, had to give it back because it was free. You know, it was free. It was on their doorstep. It was in the same building that they were in already. But I do gather like people don't necessarily want to stick around after work. But even that, because it was free, people just didn't value it. And I I do think that is largely how a lot of people think about things. If it's free, it can't be any good, you know? Yeah, but I think we're all guilty of that. Mm. So much of it is like, if if I paid for a course, I will do it. Yeah, yeah. If the course yeah. is free like because realistically there's so much free information online like yeah. there's so many free courses you could probably get online for so many things actually you paid for it like you value it more and you show up to it and even with especially with like face-to-face pt it's like i know that i've paid for this one hour like i'm gonna yeah. show up because I've, I've made myself accountable for that to that and i do think that actually charging too little and I'm certainly not one to be like, oh, high ticket, charge too much. But And there's a line, right? There's a balance mm. between the two. But charging too little doesn't help your clients. So if you're no. like, oh, my, my coaching is £40 a month, it's not enough for them to actually show up and do those checks. Like, that's £10 a week. For most people, they're like, nah, yeah, I got this thing, but like I'm not really doing it. And actually, I think between sort of 40 and £60, maybe 40 and £80 a month is the worst pricing. Because if you go really low, people are like, oh, I pay £20 a week for this. Like the amount of people that pay £20 a week for Pure German have ne- literally never been. Yeah. But they don't really care, right? Because it's so little. Whereas if they were paying between £40 and £80, I'm willing to bet they would cancel their membership. Yeah. But if they were paying more than that for a coaching service, say, they're way more likely to engage in it. And it's this kind of like sticky middle ground where people are like, mm. it's too much money to forget about, but it's not enough money to hold me accountable. Yeah, I think that's largely their business model, isn't it? Places like that. I've known budget gyms that do that. They they probably have capacity to hold like 500 people, but they sell 2,000 memberships because they're just banking on people not turning up. And actually many, many years ago, there was a private facility I worked for. They got this marketing company in and it was just like the worst thing ever. I think it worked out like eight quid a month, basically for membership. It was a tiny little private thing, but they were locked in for five years of paying that membership. And there was a massive influx, and I don't think anyone stuck around. It was a terrible idea, but you're you're right. Well, I, I mean, I... from a business point of view, maybe it wasn't. Well, that business went bust, so maybe. Uh, so, what would they have to? Would they then have to pay the money back that the when the gym wasn't open? I think it was just uh, when they had to liquidate their assets. I think that just by default, everyone's direct debit was cancelled. Oh, okay. Funded. I don't, I don't know the legalities of it, but I definitely think yeah, there's a certain amount of skin in the game that you need to fully invest and engage in it as well i remember um 
working at David Lloyd's and someone came in to join. And I I don't remember really why I was there because I wasn't on the sales team. <laughs> maybe, I'd, maybe I'd like shown them around and then they were like sitting down to join with this person and they put their like details in their little iPad thing and they're like, oh, you're already a member. And he's like, oh, I've not lived here for five years. And he'd been paying his David Lloyd membership for five years without mm. knowing. Baller. What a baller. I don't even want to think about how much money that is. Yeah. I think uh, you're a family uh, membership at most David Lloyd's now is like over 200 quid. Yeah, like, I mean, this is Dundee, so it probably wasn't... I mean, yeah. it was probably at least £80 a month or something. And that, those places, you are just another number. Because you, you're exactly right, because I recently gave myself a pay rise. And by pay rise, I mean I just actually looked at a few things I was spending money on that I wasn't using. Like, I pay whatever it is now. Eight, I have been paying £8 a month for Audible. So I've got, like, six tokens on there of books I haven't even listened to, but I've continued to pay my £8 a month. So just by cancelling that, it's a little pay rise. My phone last year, I found that if I switched my SIM only, I would actually get more call time, more et cetera, uh, for like half the price of it. And it's just those little things you don't necessarily check on because it's just an outgoing you're not really paying attention to. But yeah, just a, a little little pay what rise. Do you think, so my, I, I kind of like those little tricks to an extent. I think it depends what brings you joy, right? If you, mm. if someone's like, oh, I absolutely love my Audible and I'm using it all the time, that eight pounds a month couldn't be spent on anything better. Mm. Same with people who are like, just stop drinking coffee every day and you'll save yourself. And to be fair, you'll save yourself, I don't know, 25 quid a week or something, maybe more, yeah. depending on how much coffee you're drinking out. But if that actually really brings you joy, then that's a great way of spending 20, 30 quid a month, uh, sorry, a week, or and whatever that equates to a month, like, you know, even if that's a hundred pounds a month, like that's, I probably spend quite a lot more than that on coffee. Mm. And it's one of my favorite things. I think that, that's the key thing though there, isn't it? It's whether you're making use of it and you are actually enjoying it. Like I do enjoy it audible, but at the same time with six books I've got to listen to, I can pause or cancel my account, make the most of those. And then if I want to decide at a later date, go back to it. But I think just a lot of us spend money on things we don't really value them because it's such a small outgoing. Uh, even if that's, you know, people spend Amazon Prime or, but they're never using Amazon Prime or they don't watch the TV. It's like, just a hundred quid a year or nothing but then you've got to think so i think like everything is an opportunity cost right and it's easy to start, kind of do this with money so that eight pounds you now have a new opportunity to spend that eight pounds on something else so what more else coffee. are you gonna <laughs> or what are you gonna spend that on probably more coffee yeah no, I, don't, I don't know i haven't i haven't thought that far ahead but i just thought you know by a few nip and tucks there it's just something i paid attention to because it's a minimal investment because you know bitcoin i don't definitely don't eight, know eight pounds point. of bitcoin a month is that is, is it worth it i don't even know i have no idea about crypto is it is it worth it, it at the some, moment? some people will think that it is but and yeah i mean i probably err on the side of probably being more for it than against it can it's you even invest eight pounds a month yeah yeah you can invest anything oh. and especially now that it's low actually you know if you did do that every month and this is the thing with investments right it's small compounding interest yeah. that makes a big difference and i can't remember the exact stats but when you look at the comparison of starting to invest in your 20s compared to your 40s even if you're investing like three times as much per mm. month it, it's wild like even i think younger people should know that because even if they start you know if you started investing when you were 20 10 pounds a week which most people would spend you know if you're like do you know what my mates all drink, I don't drink, so I'm going to put £10 a week into an index fund. Mm. You'd be laughing because it's such a small mm. amount. But then as maybe as you start to earn more, you're like, yeah, do you know what? I'll put in £15 a week or £20 a week and it kind of adds up a little bit. But yeah, I think that kind of stuff. And it's hard because it's the long, it's the long game, right? It's not yeah. a lot of people will be like, yeah, I put £10 on the football every week. And like now and again, I win 50 quid or something, but like playing the long game of, of actually just like waiting for those things. There's that whole cumulative effect, isn't it? Essentially what we're, we're trying to promote from a job perspective is those tiny little investments. They don't have to be big, grandiose changes. It's walking a few extra steps. It's, you know, eating a few extra vegetables. But I think when you're younger, especially is like, you're not even really aware of your mortality. Everyone thinks they're a bit untouchable. They're not thinking 10, 20, 30 years ahead. I certainly wasn't like I, you know, well, I don't think we're taught enough about finance at all. 
no like, that's definitely what we not. Be taught in school like instead mm. of just learning like random fractions and stuff like okay have you learned have you used algebra much since leaving school uh, strangely i'm not i don't use Pythagoras <laughs> theorem most days <laughs> exactly so, and the, the the learning model is that's a whole separate conversation but the learning model for like kids at school now and our generation and generations before how many hundreds of years has it been the same you're expected to learn the same criteria and translate that into same life challenges when life challenges as we've seen massively change yeah yeah and then I guess like what would be really practical and this should probably be in personal training qualifications and things as well is like figuring out your taxes and yeah I didn't I didn't do anything to do with that my my PT qualifications my PT qualification largely well I say largely was only based around exercise when I did my level two and three it was only only exercise that's all we did I think we touched, I might've had like one module on nutrition, but that was it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. The expectations of on PTs now. And I think part of that is like self-imposed mm. and, so, and I think it, there's like a huge variation. Cause I do think some people still think just a PT as in yeah, just go and they and like, you're going to get a real job beat yeah. you up for, a, for an hour and then you leave and you're like crawling out the gym. And like, that's what people see as personal training. And then you have like the other end of the spectrum where people expect you to be a psychologist, a nutritionist, a gut health specialist, mm. like have, you know, I don't know, like performance criteria for, or like, I don't know how to teach a Olympic lifting, all this stuff. Like they expect all of that. And then you start to expect that of yourself. Right. And we, yeah. we were kind of talking about this a little bit on Fitness Unfiltered this week, but we definitely touched on it with Joe on EIQ where we were talking about like the expectations on personal trainers and, and it's okay to be like, it, I don't know, basically. Yeah. yeah that, I just, that, is, that isn't a skill I've developed. I, I, something that I really resisted for a long time, especially transitioning to online space a bit more is if you think like how broad our job descriptions are now, like from when you may have coached someone in person on the gym floor, so now you're like social media manager, content creator. I'm a videographer. I'm this, I'm that. I've got to add captions to everything. It's I resisted the whole necessity of social media for a long time, I think. And I do enjoy social media. I don't always enjoy, I guess, how much time we have to spend on social media. But I do enjoy it. But it's, it's not just creating content. It's creating palatable and translatable content that's actually useful for people. Because we know there's awful content out there, but... How do you make it accessible? How do you make it palatable? That's that's a skill in itself. That's almost a totally different coaching skill. It is totally different. And I think it's hard because a lot of the messaging that does well on social media is either extreme or very simple. And we know that there's so much like nuance to all of these things. Yeah, like pointing at stuff. And yeah, I'm just aware that this is a podcast, so no one will be able to see your dog. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was only doing that to put you off anyway. <laughs> But I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a problem in itself. And then the good coaches potentially worry too much about the damage that a good message in the wrong hands mm. cause, and the bad coaches don't care, so they post twice as much. Yeah, I think part of that is actually, when you've mentioned this podcast, that's something I initially thought of, is it's no longer just good enough to be just good at your job is no longer good enough just to get results with people is no longer good enough just to be liked and well understood and well respected amongst the people you solely work with because if no one knows about you then yeah. this is one of those jobs when you are super busy i i certainly have done in the past is you can almost become a little bit complacent because people do come to the end of their journeys you know people do want to go their own way they want to spread their wings People do face life challenges, financial challenges, all of those things. And when you're super busy, it's easy to forget that when you're in your business, if you're not actively working on, you know, that's essentially can become a job. And I think that's what a lot of people get into it for is they're thinking about being a PT as a job rather than being a business. Because when you're constantly working on in your business and not on your business, you're essentially just exchanging money for hours working. And it's yeah. yeah. I mean, this is an interesting concept because you're right. There are so many, 
phenomenal coaches who just don't put enough time or effort into their business and I think sometimes it's being a bit stubborn and thinking being a great coach should be enough well it's not like it's not enough not if no one knows about you not if you're not able to translate that. and I say that as someone that I can I can admit and I can reflect that that was me you know that I, I thought that was good enough you know years ago it's not yeah and you need to do all these things but then it's also hard because you're expecting so much of yourself like not only do I need to be an excellent coach, but also like you're saying, a social media manager mm. and a videographer and a content creator and a blogger. And I need to be able to write amazing emails every day. And all that. And it, it ends up being a lot. And it, I was talking to my flatmate yesterday about the way that like most jobs work, which is that you might start. So for example, as a personal trainer, you might be an incredible coach. And then as you get, like, say now you're full, you might move to, I don't know, online coaching, or you might have that kind of branch to your business because you want to expand. But because you're a good face-to-face coach does not mean you're a good online coach. And I'll say that as someone who was a good-ish face-to-face coach, but I'm a great online coach. Like that's where I came into my own. Like that's my platform. I'm The way that I coach people is much better done online. There are way better coaches than me face-to-face and I enjoy it, but it's not like, it's not what I'm inherently great at and so I guess that worked for me but like a lot of the time you see with jobs is even with personal trainers it's often like maybe they move into online or maybe they move into running their own gym running your own gym is not the same as coaching people like these are not the same skill set so you're kind of pushed into in other areas of work we'll see see like being pushed into being a manager and it's like just because you were good at I don't know sales, it doesn't mean you're good at managing people, or just yeah. you're good at being a personal trainer, it doesn't actually mean you're good at running a gym. Like they're they're different skill sets. Well, we're such a young industry. I don't think there is there's not really a straightforward evolution of like a job role, so to speak. You kind of cultivate a different environment as you mature, grow, get more experience, and you you create your own thing. Which I think there's like there's there's loads getting into the fitness industry now there's never a better time to for all of the negative things people say about the fitness industry if you go back to when we started there was only really a couple of voices that were being heard now you've got this diverse group of people with lots of experience based on lots of different credentials backgrounds etc to draw upon but with fitness the interesting thing I always find is when you try and have this conversation with someone else like with what we do there's a totally non-linear relationship between how academically accomplished you are, how many years experience you are, and your income. So if you ju- ju- like join If anything, bank, I think it's negatively correlated. Yeah, I mean, you you go into, and I can, you know, friends of mine, if you go into insurance or you go into banking straight from school, there's quite a clear career progression, regardless of whether you do any extra qualifications within that, regardless of whether you actually evolve or change how you work with people, you're pretty much guaranteed a pay increase over those years. Whereas... In our industry, that's not the case at all. Yeah. There is no linear relationship. It's, it's directly reflective of the effort you put in. And sometimes you just get it wrong because you can be putting in loads of effort and just not in the right space. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, like you're saying, coming into the industry now, it's so different like than when we started. Like So 10 years ago, when I started personal training, there, was, there wasn't online coaching. No, no one was doing that. No one was making any money doing it. So how could I possibly know that that's what I wanted to do but I think following your passions as cheesy as that is but like and okay let's change passion because sometimes that just seems too cheesy to interest like following what you are truly interested in that's how I've got to where I am and I think that's your competitive advantage like if you are truly interested and passionate about what you do then you want to go to work then you Mm. want to do the extra hours then it doesn't feel like work then actually you end up spending your spare time like doing a bit of research anyway because you kind of want to know how this thing works or the that's a fine line though isn't it because that could be self-defeating it's interesting you say that about passion though because I always try to think of it as what matters because I feel like if I invest my time and energy in something that matters to me then I get a huge amount of purpose and fulfillment out of that like that's a really good motivator for me so even if it's not financially driven I can still do that thing even if I don't see massive returns because it matters to me and I think identifying that is really important because then like I've definitely done things where I'm like whether I make money from this or not I want to do it and Mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to do it and then if you make money from it great 
but if you didn't then you're not you know you're not like that's a complete failure and a waste of time you're like I wanted to do this anyway and a lot of the time when I'll do kind of I guess like some lead gen or some like free trials and stuff I'm like I actually want to just see how many people I can help over the next couple of weeks that's my sole focus there as opposed to putting so much pressure I wonder how many signups I'll get off the back of this like actually what am I going to get from this aside from the money I'll get to help people I'll learn a lot I'll speak to a lot of people I'll probably get millions of pieces of content ideas from the different conversations I'm having with different people and actually if that's all I got from it great perfect if that also means that a load of people sign up to my program even better but kind of taking that away means a hell of a lot more to me and and I know that for me I wouldn't say financial goals aren't drivers at all but they kind of ruin my like passion behind things like they ruin my real why I'm doing something and if it's always about money then you're gonna like your motivation is gonna drop right at some point whether that's whether that's because you've made more than you'll ever need or whether that's because you're not making as much as you wanted to but if you get back to your fundamental, why am I actually doing this? That's always going to drive you forward. Yeah. I think like metrics can skew our motivations in every respect. And I don't think there's nothing inherently wrong or evil with money. I think the things can coexist is when that becomes the overbearing focus. Like when we've spoken about before is what we're trying to discourage with clients, especially is that they're not focused on the outcome, you know? So when you pick up working with someone, they're not focused on that out after picture, almost the message that is being directed to a lot of coaches now is focus on the money and don't worry about the bit in between like that will come as well whereas because it matters to you um you're invested but if numbers are going great you get thousands of signups that can go to your head a little bit and then if you get zero signups again that's really deflating you're like not likely to do that again so if you're just sold on the fact this shit really matters to me then I think that's, yeah, that's a, that's a happier existence. That's a more fulfilling one, I think. And when you say like they can coexist, like I think they're directly related. They're just not, the, I guess the expectation is that they would be directly related all of the time. Like, so for example, if, you're, if your focus is helping people, you will grow a longer term, like sustainable business as opposed to kind of going for a quick fix of, yeah, I made 10 grand this month, but I didn't even really have a coaching product in place when I did all these sales calls. Mm. I actually don't really care what happens after they sign up, but I've made all this money. Like nobody is coming back to that coach and their reputation is then ruined, right? So there's no longevity in it. Whereas if you're like, if you start a little bit slower, but you build an incredible reputation and your clients get incredible results, then that's a snowball effect to your business. And instead of kind of starting on a high and just continuously going down, yeah, you're starting a little bit slower, but it's exponential growth when you start to get the ball rolling with results with your clients. Yeah, I don't don't think you can mislead many people more than once. So if if people are missold, for example, coaching, and it's essentially just an automated product, there is no contact with anyone. It is just a a thread of emails that you get in response. It's an automated product project in which you just basically direct yourselves i don't think people sign up for that multiple times especially if you're charging a certain premium for that but again a lot of what's in the space at the moment is i get like if you're working with numbers you do need things which are efficiently run you do need things that streamline things but if you're totally removing that human element of it arguably is it coaching i just i just wonder and i think too many people feel they need to automate absolutely everything yeah, I agree. I think you, you especially when you're starting out, don't automate anything. Mm. Like, do the bare minimum automations you possibly can. It's costly as well, right? Pardon? It's costly as well. Well, it depends what you're doing. Like, it's not costly to automate an email series, but it's costly to outsource your DMs or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, so, it's so stupid because you're trying to create relationships with people. You can't mm. create a relationship with someone via your VA doing your DMs for you. Mm. <laughs> that doesn't work. Hey, coach, how are you? How's it's, business? <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's, it's, yeah, it's very, very strange. But it's a strange space that we're in now. But I do agree, like, you want to automate as little as possible. Or you really want to think when you are starting to automate things, what are the bits that don't need to be personal? And what are the mm. bits that do need to be personal? And make sure that you're keeping those things in where's the coaching and where's just the you need to fill in this form like 
the auto response to filling in a form can be automated, but your reply to their check-in should be you personally, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think there's, um, and, and uh, uh, the reps are undeniable. I think for all of the survivor buyership in our industry and all this almost authentically encouraging people to be inauthentic by, hey, do what I do. If we're trying to promote your USB being you and how you communicate with people, you can have your own tone, you can have your own way of communicating things, your own little ticks, your own clumsy way of doing things, the, the words that you stumble up on. I do it all the time. I think if you're to automate that, we've got a pretty good bullshit reader on that sort of thing. You you can you you can see when something's insincere, even when you read it on text. I think sometimes there's always misinterpretation. I think there's always tone, but I think if you've got someone how they're talking to you on camera, which if you use Instagram, especially in other social media platforms, you know how they are kind of, and then you get a, a written response which clearly isn't written by them. You know, you know that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's not even you'll follow someone and then immediately. In fact, I noticed this quite a lot because I sent a load of people messages if they'd asked for the link to set up WhatsApp business. And it was interesting because I got quite a lot of auto responses back. And it was from very small people with very small following. So they'd, they'd made, and again, totally fine, right? No judgment on how big or small your following is. But my point of that is that you probably aren't inundated with DMs. Mm. And it's way nicer to get a personal response back yeah. on an automated thing. And actually it kind of like just completely turns you off if something is, is automated. Mm. And there's no, yeah, like I just found it quite strange that people would have that on. And I think sometimes it is literally because they haven't thought about it and mm. they've thought, oh, there's an option on Instagram. And, and everyone else is doing it. That's the other thing with like people in our, in our jobs is that you naturally think that because someone is doing it, you have to do it as well. But the thing is, I don't see any successful people doing that. Like, I've never DM'd someone with like a very large following or like a big coaching platform that is getting like automated DMs. Mm. But is I think like some of the smaller businesses kind of like automating these things. And I think yeah, I, maybe you're right. I don't benefit, think I've noticed. Like the the key benefit to having a smaller following is you can be more personal. The key benefit mm. to working with a coach who doesn't have hundreds of clients is they'll actually know you and your name so when you kind of take away that service especially if you're like this is bespoke personal training where I'm going to get to know you and like that's your whole thing is that you're really going to have and then you're like then you've automated something it's giving very mixed messages to what you're saying but it's also like I can see why you'd I don't even think it's falling for the traps I think a lot of the time we just don't think about that thing we don't think how can I put myself in a client's shoes right now? And like something I always encourage people to do is look at your own social media. And for some reason, I find this easier on a laptop. So look up your own Instagram on your laptop because it's not then on your phone and just kind of view it from, try and get some perspective on viewing it from the eyes of someone who's maybe just come to your page and is like, mm. oh, I'm okay. What, what would I think of this person? How are they coming across? Is that useful information? Is that like a friendly, smiley profile photo? How would I message them? Like, what's their what's their bio saying? Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing because it always makes me laugh. Um, those profile pictures in gyms with PTs and they do like the boxing stance or the, oh, the yeah. stern arms cross picture. And I just think there's nothing more warm and welcoming than that. <laughs> You're yeah, definitely the someone kind of I'm going to go to for help. Yeah. Or when everyone had like really angry bodybuilder photos. Oh yeah, I've got plenty of those somewhere. <laughs> yeah, gosh, what were we thinking? But I think that, and even things like a lot of people have their logo as their profile photo, mm. and then you're you're not talking to a person; you're talking to this logo who you don't know if it's. Mm. It, I was going to say if it's a man or a woman, but I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. But you don't know anything about who you're actually talking to, and actually, just putting a name to a face makes such a big difference. And I think we have to remember that online, we it's so much harder to create relationships. And sometimes you make it even harder for yourself by doing things like having a logo as your profile photo or automating things. And I think we underestimate how easy that was when we worked face-to-face -face in gyms, when actually you could create like kind of initial no like, and trust by holding the door open for someone. Yeah, just being friendly. Yeah. 
and like that actually developed quite a lot of that initial relationship online it's much harder to do that so you really have to think about how you do that yeah it is like that passive observation isn't it from a distance though because you have that in the gym so when people are watching from afar even if they don't even talk to you they're watching how you interact with others like how your mannerisms with your hands how descriptive you are are you laughing are you joking all those things that is much more difficult i think to communicate online definitely um but like with, with all this as well it's the thing that always surprises me like there has to be an element of personability it's a personal service so i got some I think probably one of the poorest bits of advice I got when I was starting out is make sure you are, you, it's a brand name that represents you because otherwise you'll be lost to, to it always being on you. But I think people do invest in it. You are a personal brand to a certain extent. So I'm always going to be best at representing me. I'm going to be rubbish at representing anyone else. I'd rather just be me these days. So I, I don't think I even put, I don't put my business name anywhere. Not that it is my name in the title, but like back then it wasn't. And it wasn't recognizable. People don't know who they're working with, which is a natural turnoff, I think. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I think some people think it's a good idea because they, I mean, and it's quite rare, but like some people will sell their coaching business, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that Lucy and Ben are looking at some point, maybe at some point in the future to like sell their coaching business. So if they had it as Lucy and Ben's coaching business, that would be quite hard to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they had it as, coach school or something then that's like it's easier to do but I think for most people like if you're building a business of working one-to-one with people it makes so much sense to have your name somewhere in there if I can use you as an example like I know people and I can say this not just because you're my friend and I'm blowing smoke up your backside but people flood EC for you and Chloe that's why and I think that's largely a lot of these things is we're not the gatekeepers to all this secret information and arguably like the level of education and knowledge base of a lot of people, especially within our echo chamber. It isn't that different. It really isn't. But how we communicate that, how we talk to people might be different. How we coach people might be different. It's not really the knowledge base or what people have access to. It's the yeah, person. I mean, yeah, sorry, I was going to say, I, I imagine if the same person came to us they would get pretty similar targets and like the workouts would be slightly different, but like, I'm pretty sure like our pro like generally what yeah. we'd ask them to do would be quite similar, but the way that that is packaged up will be different. And the way that you resonate with that person, that's why when someone says, you know, how do I know who the best coach for me is? I'm like, who do you resonate with most? Mm. And, and that's like an assumption that like, let's say, let's say everyone's sunny IQ, right? everyone has that kind of baseline knowledge that they're going to get good information the best coach for you is the one that you resonate with most and I was going to say that it kind of like inspires you most and I do think that that's a genuine aspect of it and I know some people like no one else could inspire you blah 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 but actually I think they absolutely can like if you're if you're inspired by a certain coach or if you find that you just love the way that someone actually explains things or that even just like you like them as a person basically you've got to ask yourself would I do I trust them enough and respect them enough to actually listen to what they say Mm -hmm. because you could be paying for the best coach in the world but if you don't actually look up to them enough and trust them enough and trust their judgment enough to do what they're going to tell you to do when they tell you to do it it's a waste of money Mm. I think a lot of that stems back to that. Are they authentically representing themselves online and in that space? So I know we've had separate conversations often when you see sometimes the way people speak to others and they're almost a totally different person in person, or it always baffles me when people say, Oh, I met so-and-so and they're exactly the same as they are online. And I think, yeah, they, they should be. <laughs> it'd be more surprising if they weren't actually it'd be more disconcerting if they weren't, you would hope that people are just them. But I think with that bullshit meter is when someone's not and you can tell it's a bit of regurgitation and that perhaps they don't embody that practice. You know, again, using you as an example, hope you don't mind is I know like a lot of the things you all speak about online about being active and, you know, getting the bare minimum in for the net massive result at the end, putting in those conscious actions day in day, you embody that. Like I trust that you do that. And that's obviously that's very obvious. But when you have people which are saying, certain things and you're not sure are you actually do you do that do you do that 
I don't know. I don't believe you do. But then I don't know. Don't trust them automatically. Do you think that people are like? Sometimes I'm surprised at how questioning people are and how insightful people are, and sometimes I'm surprised at how little they are. So I guess there's two sides of that, like where I don't know there'll be something and and people just like blindly believe it. Like I guess even things we've spoken about this before. I think with marketing, but like you'll be compelled to buy a shampoo that Cheryl Cole has is on the front of even though if you ask someone do you actually think she uses that shampoo they'd be like absolutely not of course well like of course she doesn't use a box dye like <laughs> she probably has her own full team of like hair specialists or whatever but then sometimes I do think people are quite insightful and they're like oh yeah I don't I think a lot of what that person says isn't actually in line with what they do and I think we see that quite a lot now potentially with people who are like body positivity promoting Mm. whether it is outright lying or whether it's just kind of like misguiding people there's definitely an element of that for sure yeah i think when it comes to products as well as you we're almost a little bit more forgiving if there's a personal investment like for coaching for example you're investing in that person and you're hoping they do represent themselves, you you would hope that there isn't, and this is kind of what we were talking about before, wasn't it? Like uh, capitalism and when morality and being virtuous come into it, you almost can take as a given other businesses outside of what we do. And I'm sure there are other things as well, is that all they really care about is their bottom line. Like there is no morals there. There's no virtue. Like you don't expect them to, but we still use their services. Like I, I know when I buy my Apple, phone for example those pieces have been mined with effectively slave labor you know and i still buy it i hopefully that doesn't make me a horrible person so i kind of expect that apple are ripping me off for a certain degree but then if i was to invest in a coach would i expect the same and i think you've said this before you, you do hold them to a higher standard you do naturally but it depends on what they're selling you if it is a product and it's marketed as a product and there's a low barrier to entry, then it's, you know, it's a given that there's going to be some automation in there. It's not going to be entirely bespoke, but if you're paying, and I'm just plucking a number out of the sky here, hopefully I don't think anyone charges this, a thousand pounds a month to work with someone that is purely bespoke and they send you something, it's got someone else's name at the top of it. You know, you're going to tell everyone you come across. Are you laughing? Oh, you- had that happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I've also told many other people about that experience. Yeah, true. And I don't think they're doing that anymore. And I would never make that mistake again. You know, that was a harsh lesson learned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. I did have a couple of questions to ask you, but we've gone on obviously many tangents, which I hope have been useful. Um, So I think I'm just going to ask you one to finish. Yeah. Which is, what does success mean to you success yeah because a lot of people will be like how do I become a successful coach and obviously like we should break this down now but like the the definition of success is different for everyone right and it's different for every coach and it's different like yeah so what does it mean to you I mean that that is essentially where I'd start is that it's a hugely subjective thing so I think it's when we have this societal pressure to be successful, it's based on someone else's success. So we grow up being told this is successful, looking this way successful, this amount of money successful. But for me, it's what do I do? I have the ability to do the stuff that matters, lead a life that's fulfilling and purposeful, that lends itself to me doing all the things that bring me joy. So can I make a certain amount of money, which unfortunately money makes the world go round? That allows me to spend time with my family, do my hobbies, do everything I do without compromising and sacrificing it too much. I think compromise is a given. We do have to compromise sometimes. I think balance is over-glamorized because naturally, if you want to achieve anything in life, those scales shift occasionally. Um, oh, Em, have you paused or is that me? No, I was just thinking. No, um, Sorry, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, I like the point you made about compromise versus sacrifice. I think that that relates to every area of life, really. And that's something I speak to clients about quite a lot. And I think the thing that people often misinterpret with that is they're like, well, what's compromise and what's sacrifice? I'm like, that's dependent on you. 
like mm. what do you think is sacrifice and what do you think is compromise because yeah. for one person that will be different than for someone else and it's like the cost benefit of things yeah so again, when people are like oh I'm coming to like let's put it back into a coaching perspective actually I was going to make it about fat loss but you know the 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 point at which you might stop taking on clients might look different to one person than it does for another because you're like actually I've got a young family and I want to have three days off a week versus the other person's like I I just want to make some more money or I I want to coach some more people and like my point and what's success for me and what I want my life to look like is different than what someone else's does and it's the same with fat loss like when someone's like when should I come to maintenance I'm like when does the cost of losing more fat outweigh the benefit for you Mm. that's when you come to maintenance and that might be varying degrees of body fat for different people yeah well that's exactly it isn't it it varies between people so a compromise for me would be that okay sometimes I do have to pick up work of an evening when the kids are in bed or a weekend day fortunately it's not too much of a chore for me if I want to spend a day a week with Jack's like a whole day just with us um I for the majority of the time I get up just before this isn't a brag by the way this isn't something I'm hugely proud of it's just how it has to work for me I have to get up in the four o'clock hour to get to my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu morning club, which means I have the opportunity to pick Mila up after school because I don't need to train of an afternoon. Because for me, training is hugely important. So I'm not going to compromise on, I'm not sorry, I should say, I'm not going to sacrifice that, but I am going to compromise, get up that bit earlier so that I don't sack it off in the afternoon. I can continue to work until I pick her up from school. And that's the compromise that I'm, I'm happy to make there. But it's because I justify it as a compromise and not a sacrifice. They're always, they're always sacrifices as well. I'd love to say a real, realistic take on life is that we never have to make sacrifices. Of course we do. But ultimately... So should... I spoke to Emil about this and his view was you should never sacrifice ever. And I think, like, and initially I was like, mm, all right. Like, because you know how the whole saying is like, relationships are all about making... Oh, no, wait, his view is you should never compromise ever. But anyway, I'm going to change it slightly. But like, you should, I, I don't think you should. I don't think that's the context of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, we maybe won't go into that. I mean, it was quite a good discussion because I guess his point was like, if you, because I, I was like, look, I don't, I wouldn't mind compromising on stuff I don't really care about. And he's like, well, it's not a compromise if you don't care. Whereas if you do care, it is a compromise. So if I was like, I don't really you know, it, it doesn't bother me massively where we go to dinner. So I'm not making a compromise because I actually don't care about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. And I think, again, it's that perspective thing because on a kind of larger, more impactful scale, I guess, is just to throw the question out there. So when a woman pauses her career to have children, is that a compromise or is that a sacrifice? I think that's largely how they view it. And that is dependent and aligned with their values and what they want out of life. So many might- It's a hundred percent, sorry, but like that is a compromise. And whether it's fair, like it doesn't seem fair because you're comparing it to a man who doesn't have to do that. But if you want a child, then there is a compromise to be made. Or a sacrifice, you know, for for a short time being, you can sacrifice that for a length of time you want to spend with your child and then go back to- we need you know, to define what compromise and sacrifice is. Well, th- this is the thing. I think it's in, again, it's it's hugely into individual. I think that's in, into individual as well because some people would see something as a sacrifice. So, um, in that same, think that's like erring a little bit on like victim mentality. Like, oh, I've had to sacrifice X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, you've had the huge joy of being able, like, having a child and a family. But does that come with compromises that you have to make to the rest of your life? Yeah, much like with anything else. If you were like. I want to run a marathon. Okay, well, you might have to compromise the fact that you're going to have to spend time that you used to spend watching TV, going out and training for your marathon. Like, mm. there's always some give and take with that. But I really, like, I I wrote a post about this earlier or similar to this. And it was, I don't know if I'll actually post it, but it, it basically said, you can actually have it all. And the point I want to make is, that to, and it's because I was doing check-ins today in a couple of, there was two kind of back to backs that were like, well, I'll obviously have to give up X, Y, and Z. And I mean, it was the usual assumption of like, I should go out less or I should do this. Yeah, like, I mean, that's a compromise. You, don't, right? you, don't abs- you absolutely do not have to give those things up. You have to make compromises by not over drinking every time you go out. Mm. But that's a compromise. Maybe the number of times that you, you go out. Yeah. yeah. Like you can have all of that. 
And actually with most things in life, when you actually completely break it down, it's like, yeah, I can do all this stuff, Mm. but I do have to prioritize some of it. Like I can get what I want out of things, but Mm. there is always like compromises to be made if you want to get a certain outcome. And I think the difference to me, the difference between compromise and sacrifice, and again, because these words are interpreted differently by different people, it's hard to like kind of argue the two, but sacrifice to me is more like victim of like it's being taken away from me whereas compromise is empowering it's like it's a choice i've made yeah i suppose you could look at that i suppose compromise is as you said there's like a a net balance there like often with a compromise there's something to be gained elsewhere whereas if one were to sacrifice something that would be i'm just losing that i'm not actually that's i'm not making up for that elsewhere and it is a perception thing and i think sometimes people change their mind on what compromise and sacrifices are is something that they they think in their head is going to be a compromise ends up being a sacrifice and maybe i'm thinking like too broader scale maybe i'm thinking like relationships life i'm thinking money i'm thinking more than just um i don't want to go out drinking as much and things like that i think like when we talk about things that don't directly impact other people it's largely a compromise but i think sometimes you, you know life forces you to make sacrifices you might not like them but you have to make them like what are we talking about sacrifices or like opportunity costs of things because again like that's another way to think of things like if i'm doing if i'm doing this podcast with this time Mm. that means i'm not doing anything else so like i've said yes to doing this which means i'm saying no to doing anything else with this hour that's like an opportunity cost now you could say that i'm like sacrificing doing anything else Mm. I suppose a sacrifice, and this is just off the top of my head, which I'm sure will have lots of holes in the example, is if you're a single income family that have, has always had a car and then we're on the with this re- impending recession, you have to sacrifice that car because you can no longer make payments. Yeah. Well, could that be seen as a compromise because you get the benefits elsewhere or is that just a sacrifice you have to make in that moment? I'm not saying there's a right or wrong here. It's just an example I just thought on my head. I think, again, it's that interpretation thing. It's, yeah, that could be compromised if you see it from, oh, we get the opportunity to walk everywhere. But then if that is your... <laughs> just put a silver lining on that. Yeah. If that is your sole means of... Oh, lucky know, us. <laughs> that is your sole means of get, getting to work, for example, which would normally be a 10-minute car journey, which is now you have to cycle to work. You're sacrificing more time and you're also sacrificing your car. So... Yeah, I think it's one of those hugely context specific and one of those things that's there are multiple truths. Like there are lots of things that could be true. There's no definitive answer. Is that vague enough? Yeah, now I'm lost into what we really talked about, (laughs) which is a great way to wrap up. Well, I think if anyone listens to that back, if they can make sense of that, let me know. Yeah, that's going to be like open in my head. So I'm going to have to go and look up definitions. Um, thank you so much for your time, Dan. I hope it's oh, my pleasure as always. It wasn't what I was going to cover, but I actually really enjoyed it. So thank you. No, my ple- I think we kind of did a lot of because you were good, you, you asked me for like three tips for. I think we covered lots of tips for people coming There's in. Loads of tips in there. Yeah, largely from things that I've fallen on my face on, and maybe that's something that needs to be stressed more. I think generally is that a lot of these lessons that people have are from mistakes that we've made over yeah. and over again. And not enough people talk about their mistakes, I don't think. No, that's that whole survivorship bias, isn't it? I think, which is a massive thing in our industry. Is but even people... the people who, who are like on the top now, like, and I'm not saying they necessarily should, because there's a lot of mistakes that I've made that for numerous reasons, like I can't really talk about because it might mm. just look kind of bitchy in certain ways or like there's maybe things I wouldn't have done, but. Well, yeah, like our investment that we probably won't talk about publicly, but we'd never make that mistake again. What investment? The marketing budget investment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was a mistake. But again, like, that's what I mean. I can't really share that mistake without throwing someone under the bus. Yeah, someone under the bus, yeah. 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 Well, that's not to say you wouldn't answer anyone's question if they were to ask you in private. But then if that person isn't still operating in that way, that I don't, I think it doesn't matter. You know, it, if was you, long, it was a long time ago. Yeah, if you've been missold like a really crappy coaching product that isn't coaching at all, and that person is continually churning the same thing out and promising the same things i think we do have a bit of a a responsibility to say something 
because mm. I think sorry because I know you have to wrap up I think sometimes to maintain professionalism in our industry is we think the easier option is not to say anything at all and we've seen people accused of heinous things over the years and we've had to lead with our feet so although not directly addressing those things publicly you kind of are inadvertently by not associating yourself with them publicly but by choosing not to do anything at all those people get away with murder yeah god that's cryptic isn't it no one's gonna understand yeah i was gonna say something but i'm not gonna say it okay let's wrap up thank you so much bye